Okay, we continue together our study of chapter 32 of our Confession of Faith dealing with the subject of the Last Judgment. We've looked at paragraph 1, which deals with the certainty of the day of judgment. God has appointed a day wherein He will judge the world. It is certain that there is going to be a day in which judgment will occur. We saw that the one sitting in judgment is the Lord Jesus. We saw the persons being judged are the apostate angels and all persons who have lived on the face of the earth. We saw the process of judgment is that they will give an account of their conduct and receive the just due uh, for that conduct and what it reveals about their faith or lack thereof in Jesus Christ. Now, we are recently working in paragraph 2, which deals with the purpose of the day of judgment. Paragraph 2 says the end of God's appointing this day is for. And so they set out the purpose. And we saw, first of all, the purpose described, and that is the manifestation of the glory of God's mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and the manifestation of the glory of God's justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. So God's purpose on the day of judgment is to show forth his wrath and to show forth his mercy, to show forth his justice and to show forth his grace. And so um, there will be a full display of all of God's attributes on the day of judgment. Now, having seen the purpose described, we've been more recently dealing with a purpose accomplished in the disposition of the righteous, and then, as we shall see, in the disposition of the wicked. So we've been looking at the disposition of the righteous, and it says, For then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting reward in the presence of the Lord. So that's the wonderful thing that we as Christians have to look forward to, is that on the day of judgment, we will receive everlasting life, and we talked about that in a previous study. We will receive joy and glory, and we talked about that last time. And then today, we want to pick up on that last word, uh, reward, and then proceed to the remainder of the end of that clause. So when we go to the day of judgment, we don't go with fear, we don't go with trepidation, we don't go with anxiety. We go with joy and enthusiasm and excitement because then is when we receive the completion of our salvation. And of course, the completion of that salvation is the full bestowal of all aspects of the eternal life that Jesus has purchased for us. The perfection of our souls and the perfection of our bodies, the entrance into um, heaven and uh, the joy that is there. Uh, we saw last time we looked at uh, <clears throat> Psalm 16 verses 10 through 11. Um, uh, in thy presence is, is uh, fullness of joy. Um, let's see, it says... Uh, in thy presence is fullness is joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Yeah. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So we saw there's going to be joy, we saw there's going to be glory, not only for God, but for us. When God puts uh, His honor on us, 
for having uh, served his son. We will receive the, the glory of being the sons of God. And uh, <clears throat> we often see that the children of famous people are themselves famous because of who their parents are. Um, and of course, uh, in heaven, that's multiplied by an infinite number of, of times that we will share in the glory of God because we are owned as God's adopted children. Uh, we will be, um, if you will, uh, the, the, the children of the king will be royalty and uh, we will be honored by God for our service to Christ. And that leads naturally then into that last word in which it says they will receive the fullness of joy and glory with everlasting reward. So we want to talk a little bit this morning about the whole subject and issue of reward and rewards. Okay, And we need to understand um, that rewards are not something that we deserve. They're not something that we have earned. And the reason why is because rewards are something that are typically given to someone for doing something that is above and beyond the call of duty. And the duty that we have is to serve God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of the days of our life, in every circumstance. And when we've done that, we've simply done our duty and our obligation. You know, Jesus said <clears throat> that when you have done all, say of yourselves, I am an unprofitable servant, for I've only done that which is required of me. And so, because we have been purchased by God and created by God first and then redeemed by God secondly, all we are and all we have belongs to God. And if we give all we are and all we have to God in service, then we have simply fulfilled our obligation and there's no reason for God to reward us. We have simply done that which was required of us. However, God rewards us in spite of the fact for our service to him. And so just like salvation is of grace, we really didn't earn it. Rewards are also of grace. We don't earn them in the sense that we deserve them. Now we're going to be coming to a passage quite quickly in 1 Corinthians 4 in the evening service, but let's turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> and notice what Paul says in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 7. It says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, 
Why dost thou glory as though thou hadst not received it? And the point is, is that not only are we by virtue of creation and redemption obligated to serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that having done so, we've simply done our duty. Secondly, any ability that we have to do anything has already been given to us by God and therefore, any service we render to him is just a giving back to him of that which he first gave us. Now, if I went up to you and I gave you 10 $1 bills as a gift, and then you turn around and you take three of those dollar bills and you give them back to me, um, you know, sh should you be rewarded for doing that? All you're doing is giving back to me a part of what I first gave you. And that's exactly the case with God. Any wisdom we have, any money we have, any time we have, any abilities that we have, were first given to us by God. And so when we take some of that and we give it back to him, it's like we're just giving back to him that which he's already given to us. And so therefore, why would reward accrue to us? So by virtue of obligation that we owe him all we are and have and can do because he created us and redeemed us, and by virtue of the fact that we have all as a result of his prior gift, we recognize that if he rewards us for our service to him, it's not because he owes it to us or that he's obligated to do so or that... Um, we have any, um, any glory to claim for ourselves because look at all I did and doesn't God now owe me? Um, rewards are of grace. You know, and it, it is kind of like, you know, when you have uh, one of your children and they're quite young and they do some little thing for you and, you know, you fawn all over them and, and uh, I... <laughs> I remember as a little kid, my, my mother would give me money and I would go out and buy Christmas presents and then I would give them to everybody. <laughs> and it was like, I felt so good because I'd given gifts to all these people, but <laughs> I was just giving what had been given to me, really. And, um, and of course, she would say, oh, thank you so much. This is so wonderful. I really like what you got me. And she was very sweet. And, uh, and, and so this is how God deals with us. So... When we receive rewards, we recognize that we don't deserve them. They're not owed to us, but they're given to us as a gift of God's grace and as a recognition uh, out of that grace of the service uh, that we have rendered for his name and his cause and for his son. All right, let's look at some scripture passages in an effort to... Uh, understand um, this subject. First of all, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> and we're just going to read together verses 1 through 18. And we're going to notice the subject and the issue of reward that Jesus himself shares with us, uh, tells us, teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Notice chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men. That is your financial giving. Take heed that you do not your financial giving before or in front of men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you doest your alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, which is, of course, the praise of man. But when you do your alms, let not your right hand, left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, if you're going to serve me, don't do it to get glory from men. Because if you do it for that reason, that's going to be your reward is what men think of you. He says, when you serve me, do it for me, not for yourself and what you're going to get out of it. But do it for me. Don't do it in such a way as to curry praise and notice from people. And he says, if you do it for me, I will reward you for it. Notice he takes up the same theme about prayer. Verse 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So once again, the issue is, are we giving just to uh, puff up our image in front of other people? Are we praying just to puff up our image in front of other people? Now this is not an indictment against all public prayer. Uh, Jesus himself prayed in public. Um, but uh, it is an indictment against praying for the purpose of being thought well of by others. So you're praying with an eye to what other people are going to think about your prayer rather than praying with an eye towards addressing God and, and speaking to Him. And then notice verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that may, they may appear unto men to fast. Everybody feels so sorry for them because they're suffering so much because they're not eating. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, which once again is the praise of man. See, the trouble with the praise of man as a reward is how long does that last? Not long. How long does the praise of God last? All eternity. Okay. Praise of man is very short-lived. Verse 17, But when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father, Notice, unto thy Father, unto thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And so he says, lay not up for yourselves, verse 19, treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. That's the praise of men. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what he's saying is that you can either lay up rewards from men and those are all going to be corrupted and a thousand years from now it isn't going to matter what anybody said about you except what God said about you. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's the true treasure that lasts forever is that when you serve God, then you are laying up rewards in heaven and those rewards are eternal and they last forever. So the whole idea 
is that we can't uh, pretend to be serving God while really doing it for our own ego gratification and upbuilding in the eyes of, of people. That's hypocrisy. Uh, if we're going to serve God, serve God, and don't do it uh, for the praise of men and don't do it in order to garner that praise uh, by doing it before them any more than is absolutely necessary. I mean, um, there's a sense in which, you know, we do our good works before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven, but it's not ostentatious and it's not done for our glory. It's done so that they might glorify God in heaven. So when we do service to people and they say to us, um, wow, you know, you're really wonderful, say, you know, you deflect the praise to God and you say, no, it's not that I'm wonderful, it's that Jesus Christ is wonderful and he gave me the grace and the ability and the resource and the desire to, to do this. And so, you know, to God be the glory um, for anything I'm able to do. And thus, you're doing all that you do to the glory of God, not, not, not for your own praise. Okay, so Jesus introduces very clearly this issue of reward. And uh, it's something that is just uh, throughout the scriptures. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 10, verses 41 to 42. <clears throat> we'll start out at verse 40, Matthew 10, 40. <clears throat> Once again, Jesus speaking here. He says to his disciples... He that receives you, receives me. And he that receives me, receives him that sent me. In other words, what Jesus is saying here in verse 40 is the same thing he said over Matthew 25, and it's simply this. The way you treat the people of God is the way you treat Jesus, and the way you treat Jesus is the way you treat the Father. Because we're of a peace. The way you treat my wife is the way you treat me. And... Why? Because we're of a piece. We're one flesh. And, and so that's why uh, Jesus and his people are a body. He's the head. They're the body, right? And, um, <clears throat> and so as a result, the way you treat, in this case, the apostles is the way you treated Jesus. And the way you treat Jesus is the way you treat the Father. And that's why on the Day of Judgment... Uh, what Jesus looks at is, you know, were the people of God hungry and you fed them? And were they thirsty and did you give them to drink? And, and were they naked and did you clothe them? And were they sick and did you visit them? And were they in prison and, and, and did you come to them? And Jesus is saying, how did you treat the people of God? That's how you treated me. And that shows what you think of me and whether you had faith in me or not. So he's just saying the same thing in one verse here that he said in about 15 or 20 verses in Matthew 25 here in verse 40. He that receives you receives me. He that receives me receives him that sent me. Verse 41, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only. In the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now, without spending a lot of time talking about what all that means, clearly the way we treated the people of God is going to not only determine whether we're saved or not, but God is going to reward us for how we dealt with 
and are dealing and shall deal with our fellow Christians. Because the way you treat them is the way you treat Jesus. And when we do service to Jesus, by doing service to his people, Jesus declares that we will in no wise lose our reward. Okay, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, this is a passage we're very familiar with because we've been preaching through it uh, in our evening service. And in fact, we're going to be in it again this evening. And uh, here he's talking specifically about ministers of the gospel. But these same principles extend to all Christians. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, notice he says in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Now notice, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So here is specifically a saying, the way that ministers of the gospel labored, they're going to be rewarded for that. But the principle extends to every Christian, the way every Christian labors for Christ in his or her respective calling and with his or her respective gifts, they too will be rewarded according to their labors. Now notice, if you will, verse 14. <clears throat> Speaking of building with wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones, it says in verse 14, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Loss of what? Loss of the reward he would have gotten had he done God's work God's way. Built with gold, silver, and precious stones instead of wood, hay, and stubble. So once again, we see here the principle of reward or loss of reward based upon whether you served Christ or didn't serve Christ as a Christian. Because both of these ministers are Christians. Verse 15, but he himself shall be saved. So we're talking about people who are saved, but who lose rewards. People who are saved and who gain rewards depending upon how they served Jesus Christ, if they served him the way he desired to be served, or if they failed to do so. And, you know, it's interesting to me that um, sometimes people complain about serving God because other people aren't, and somebody's supposed to do something, and they don't do it, and so you wind up having to step in the gap and not only do your ministry, but do theirs too. And, uh, you know, people have complained to me about that. And I says, well, look, you just got the reward that they would have gotten had they done it. So, you know, you're the winner. Uh, Don't feel like because you you did your job and somebody else's job, too, that you uh, have somehow um, been disadvantaged. Uh, You just got the reward they would have gotten had they done what they were supposed to do and uh, recognize that you're blessed. Uh, you got more than, than, than expected. 
And so when we have that mentality, we don't wind up resenting other people for their, quote, failures, unquote, to do all that they were supposed to do. But we just say, wow, you know, here's a, a further opportunity for me to show love to Christ by serving him um, uh, in an even greater way. And, uh, and I will receive even greater reward for it. So um, it's nothing to be bitter about or unhappy about or to feel resentful towards. Uh, you kind of feel sorry for the person who missed out on the reward that you got. And uh, so depending upon the degree of energy and enthusiasm and initiative we show and the opportunities we seize, we can either wind up with large rewards or small rewards. Uh, and uh, those who uh, sow little will reap little and those who sow much will reap much. So... That's what Jesus meant when he says, lay up treasure in heaven. He's saying, in essence, you're in control over how much you have and, and where you're laying it up. So um, if you have any concern for um, rewards on the day of judgment, um, then uh, show initiative and, and go to work for Christ. Uh, a final passage, 2 John 1 and verse 8, and this flows right into what I've just been exhorting you with reference to, 2 John. So all the way back to the book of Revelation and then just go forward to Jude, uh, 3 John, and then 2 John, way in the back of your Bible. Just a couple of books before the book of Revelation. It's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. All right? So 2 John, a little bitty book, only 13 verses long. But notice what it says in verse 8. <clears throat> he says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And the clear implication is that people can have a partial reward if they don't exercise the degree of diligence that they ought and they should in their service and ministry to Christ. And so he says, look to yourselves, stay focused, keep working, uh, don't give up halfway through, um, be tireless, uh, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. And when you know that, it keeps you going because you know that God is not unrighteous to forget uh, the labor uh, that you have done uh, for his name's sake. In fact, let's just look at that verse for a moment. It's in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I think it's in Hebrews 6, pardon me. I don't have it written down here. It just kind of popped into my head while I was talking. Yeah, Hebrews 6.10. <clears throat> Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And the point is, God is not unrighteous to forget the work you did for him. He'll remember. He'll remember every ounce of energy you expended in the cause of the service of Christ. And he'll reward you for it. Now, the big question is, Pastor, what are the rewards? And the answer is, I don't know. 
But I can guarantee you this, when you get them, you won't be disappointed. I remember when I was a kid, we used to have these fishing booths at the fair and you'd take a clothespin and it was attached to a string and a fishing pole and you'd pay a quarter and you'd, you'd take the fishing pole and you'd flip the clothespin up over the, the, the barrier and there was somebody behind there and they would take a toy and they would hook it to the clothespin and they'd tug on the line and you'd pull it over and, and you got your toy, right? Well, you know what? Sometimes you're disappointed in what you got. It was a puzzle and you wanted an airplane or something. But I can tell you that though we don't know what's on the other side in terms of rewards, not only will you not be disappointed, you'll be overwhelmed. Because God is a great giver and he's a just giver. So uh, he holds out this issue of rewards all over the scripture. I've just given you a few passages. And... Uh, uh, it's not clear what those rewards will be. There's some speculation about what they might be. Um, and I think some of those speculations have some validity, but uh, the issue is you can trust God that when he hands you, as it were, your paycheck that you don't deserve for all the service you've done here on earth, uh, it will be larger than you could have ever imagined. So serve the Lord with vigor, serve him with zeal, uh, reward is coming. It's going to come on the day of judgment. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the generosity and the grace that you show, not only in saving us, but then in rewarding us for serving you. Uh, when in fact, that's what we ought to have been doing all along, and Adam and Eve failed to do. And, and uh, Father, we're so grateful that you're so generous and kind to give us uh, an additional motivation for serving you. Certainly, Father, we want to serve you just out of love, whether we got anything for it or not. Um, but Lord, on top of, of the, just the pleasure of serving you comes a reward from you for having done so. Uh, Father, we... Uh, are humbled that you would reward us. And Father, I'm sure that we shall just take all those rewards and hand them right back to you as an act of worship and thanks uh, for what you have done for us. And Lord, I pray that the measure of our gratefulness for saving us would be the measure of the reward that we will be able to render to you uh, for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.